Damn it, Sean, I did it again. I did it again. I picked a song too good to open the show with because I want to hear the whole freaking song. Okay. Here's the thing. We live in an era where I, you could, I mean, seriously, we we could just fact, we could just play that song over and over again no. for the whole show. Hi, I'm Brian Oak. That's my friend Sean Bernard. Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. You know, the storm of the century turned out to be anything but, although it is more snow on top of the snow we already had. Yeah. Uh, I spent the last two nights at a hotel because my work was panicking that they're like, we've got to have you. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. I'll swim in a pool and stay at a hotel with nice clean white sheets for the next couple <laughs> nights. Cool. It was not necessary. I mean, it was, it was not great, but it was not the end of the world. Then the bottom fell out and the temperature got cold. And now it's just sort of a typical late February day in Minnesota. Um, we have a great guest on today, a guest who I'm very excited to talk to. I've heard him on the radio before, and I am a gigantic fan of his son, uh, and I want to talk to him about some of that. But we will um, we'll talk to uh, lawyer Jeff Lambert coming up very, very shortly. But first, I do want to make sure that we take care of the necessary business. Uh, speaking of lawyers, a couple of lawyers you and I know, Sean, um, Mike and Ed from Smart Start MN, they are the original ignition interlock company here in minnesota they were the ones who worked with the state legislature they literally founded the program here in minnesota and without them there's nothing there and of course other people have come in to try to drink up the delicious juice that's available there <laughs> carpetbaggers have come in late to get their hands on money because everyone seems to be motivated by money um but if you should get in trouble for drinking and driving which i really hope you don't but should you smart start mn is who you want to call why would you say that is Sean? because we can save you a little bit of money when you do it so go to smartstartmn.com slash the brian oak show that'll get you 20 percent off the installation of the ignition interlock system and i also want to thank our most recent signer on our supporters suppliers you know, whatever. I'm sponsored. I, dude, look, I'm telling you, I'm so ready for this week to be over. I can't yeah. even tell you. But the good people at Moxie Wealth Management, Joe Burgess and his team, they take a different approach to wealth management. They're not just looking at your 401k or your savings. They've got tax people. They've got estate people. They have all the necessary people to sort of take a comprehensive complete look at what you have, where you are, and what you're going to do with it for the rest of your life. They are there to make sure that you're going to be okay moving forward. And they do a really good job. And here's the other thing. Sean and I agreed a long time ago, and I hope they don't take offense to this, me using coarse language, but Sean and I agreed from the outset that we started doing this over three years ago. We weren't going to work with assholes. We just, we, we, we're not. It, it, life is too short, and we've worked with enough of them. We are not working with assholes. <laughs> And Joe and his team are anything but. In fact, they do really, really, really good work. Um, and 
here's the weird thing, right? It's like wealth, wealth is a weird word. Like a lot of people don't consider that they have wealth, but you probably own a home or you have savings or you have investments or you have other interests that need to be tended to, to make sure you're making the most of them. And that's where Moxie comes in. Am I right, Sean? Yeah. You may not be able to live your same lifestyle with social security alone. Oh, People that say that might be the case. Go to moxiewealthmanagement.com and get in contact with Joe and his fine people, and they'll help you out. At least figure, at least you'll be able to figure out where you're at now to be able to get to where you want to go down the road. Sean, do you remember when we had, I don't remember the exact date, and it was a long time ago. He was one of our very, very first guests, like way back in the early days when we had. Paul Lambert, a.k.a. Meat Sauce from the Power Trip Morning Show on the show. I believe he was our second guest. Why? Maybe our third. Maybe our third. And But the, this is episode, what, 298? 298, yes. Wow, okay. So that was a minute ago. Now, I see Paul all the time because he works literally around the corner from me in the hall uh, at the Power Trip Morning Show on... Uh, KFAN 100.3, the local sports affiliate, and he is one of my favorite colleagues I've ever had in the business. Um, there are a lot of things I like about him, but you don't just get to turn into that person. That kind of thing is earned. That kind of thing is learned. That kind of thing is crafted over years. And guess what? Like it or not, your parents play into who you are and what you've become. And his father, none other than Lawyer Lambert, Jeff Lambert, is going to be our guest for the rest of the show. But first, I want to play a song. What did I pick again? Fortunate Son. Great song by CCR. Oh, and here's why I picked it, because Jeff Lambert... Lawyer Jeff, La I don't even how, what, you don't call them your honor. What do you call lawyers? Call me Jeff. <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna go with his his majestic barrister, Jeff Lambert. <laughs> um, believe it or not, was at Woodstock, oh. not Woodstock 99, oh. where they were lighting piles of garbage on fire in the middle of a tarmac parking lot. Actual Woodstock, Woodstock. Oh, and, man. I, it, oh, dude, I cannot wait to drill down on that because we are going to talk plenty about that. But first, I want to play one of the bands that performed at Woodstock. I don't know whether he saw him or not. I mean, I imagine he was so high, he doesn't really remember who he saw. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, not trying to paint you in a negative light. I know you're a personal <laughs> individual. But I mean, Woodstock, bruv. You were probably wrapped. In a wet, <laughs> you were probably wrapped in a wet, muddy blanket with some lovely friend of yours enjoying much <laughs> of the music. We'll talk about that coming up. But first, one of my favorite bands. And I mean, Woodstock. It's it's almost too iconic. There's nothing you can say about it. Like everybody who played there was a legend. Everybody who played there was a legend, up to and including CCR. This is Fortunate Son on the Brian Oak Show. Cheese! 
so such good. <laughs> a, a, it's such an evocative song, man. I mean, like it 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 speaks of an era. And we are going to be talking Woodstock in just a little bit, but I want to talk about a couple other things as well with our guest today. One, Jeff Lambert, who is a Minnesota lawyer, um, but also the father of one of my favorite people that I currently work with, not with every single day, but is a colleague of mine, Paul Lambert, a.k.a. Meat Sauce from the Power Trip Morning Show. Jeff, how are you? Thanks, Brian. Uh, great. Great to be here. I'm doing yeah, well. well. Great, great to have you. You know, I mean... Everyone on the power trip speaks so highly of you when they're not ripping you openly when you are not there. But that's sort of the nature of the power trip, right? I'm certain you become accustomed to that sort of dark edge of fame. Handcuffed with Chris Hockey, that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've heard them all. I absolutely. And, and I love them. Yeah, well, and, and so do I. I mean, every time I go on there, I get ripped as well, but that's kind of what they do on that show. It's kind of the nature of the bit. Before we get into your experiences, your legal practice, anything like that, I want to ask you, where are you from? Where were you born? Born in, uh, I was born and raised in St. Louis Park. Wow, uh, so you are you are literally Minnesota born and raised. I Absolutely. Born at- Good for uh, you. Down- Actually, a hospital downtown, but when uh, my parents uh, lived, uh, built a home in the early 50s in St. Louis Park, um, I was telling Sean just on the uh, 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 south side of the Minneapolis golf course on Virginia Circle. So I grew up there till I was about 15, and then my parents moved out to Wyzetta, and uh, I ended up uh, finishing up school in, at Wyzetta High School. How did it come to pass that you chose law? I mean, obviously, when people are young, the whole old cliche is like, well, I want my kid to be a doctor. I want my kid to be a lawyer. I want my kid to be whatever. But you ended up going into law and producing a, a, a you know, a, a successful practice. What was it, though, originally that drew you to the notion of law? Well, part of it was my parents. Um, and uh, we had in that neighborhood, we had a couple of uh um, of my parents' friends who were lawyers. And uh, when I was a young kid, I got an opportunity to go down to, uh, he had a, he had his law office downtown Minneapolis. And I walk in and there's just all this great paneling and the office <laughs> gorgeous. And I'm thinking, well, this is kind of cool. You know, and I was like eight or nine. And uh, <laughs> of course, to watch a little bit of Perry Mason when I was younger. <laughs> Uh, um, but my parents had a um, uh, a role in it. Uh, they, uh, as you say, like all parents, I, they never pushed me into it. But it was a it was a um, it was a thought and uh, dream that I had when I was a younger kid, and kind of plowed through uh, high school and college, and ended up in law school in the uh, mid seventies. And you went to law school here as well. I went. Uh, I, I went undergrad. And uh, law school at the University of Minnesota. Very good. So you oh. are wow. A gopher right. for went through. Yeah, you are. You, I mean, you're you're a Minnesotan. You're go here's the weird thing. I wasn't born here. I was born in Portland, Oregon, but I've lived here since I was two years old, so more than fifty years. And but somehow I'm still made to feel. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. A little, a little <laughs> fraudulent by the by the, <laughs> by the provincial Minnesotans out there. I mean, they got, they're like, oh, you weren't born here. Oh, that's cool. Whatever. I tell you, well, you came <laughs> here. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Unbelievable. So, yeah. 
So, uh, and the other thing I wanted to say is at the risk of sounding like I'm kissing your ass, um, <laughs> your son, Paul, um, is not only funny, not only hilarious. I think my favorite thing about him is the depth of his loyalty, his loyalty to his family, his loyalty to the work that he does, his loyalty to those who showed back to him. Yeah. Well, that that doesn't just happen, right? Like that's that's yeah. not that's not a thing that just like, oh, one day I decided I'm going to be loyal. It's part <laughs> of who he is and what he is, and it speaks to you as a parent like that are you pr you're proud of that boy, tell me please, yes. I'm proud of him. We really are. We we couldn't be prouder of him and our and our, of course our other two, but of uh, course. He's the one who is the uh, most uh, most well known. Although Dom gets <laughs> a little bit uh, 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 he gets a little bit of, of time on the radio as well. So, uh, but uh, he, he, you know, they they both grew up. Uh, you know the the dynamics of our family. Our first child, Ellie, was born with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. He's uh, two years uh, two years older than Paul, and then Dave came along a couple years after that. So, right. um, Paul's got a kind of a unique. Um, it, it, you know, he's he's the middle child. But he really was the first um, because of Kelly's disability. Um, we uh, we had Kelly, and uh, you know, it, I've I've talked to lots of people that have children with Down syndrome, and most most families, it's at the last child when the parents are older. We were we were we had no idea what Down syndrome was when she was born. And uh, it was it was a it was a bit shocking. And uh, um, but uh, um, while she was growing up, being her, our first, we had no idea kids didn't walk, you know, till they were two. She didn't. Uh, she was still in diapers at four or five. Then all of a sudden, all comes along Paul, and he's <laughs> jumping and he's uh, you know doing all kinds of stuff that we didn't experience with Kelly. So he's uh, he's had a unique position in uh, in the family dynamics and uh, but I've but I kind of instilled in both of them one of the things I've always talked to them about is don't burn your bridges you just life's too short and uh, so yeah I get a little emotional talking about about Kelly but uh, yeah she's she had a big role in their lives too and I think yeah. that um, the empathy I think they both have and uh uh it 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 did it did uh it it had its challenges because she was difficult we ended up uh um well, kelly was we placed her in a in a group home when she was 16 which was really tough. Mm -hmm. uh but uh and and uh, it it allowed us to do a lot more with the boys that uh, we couldn't do we were kind of restricted by her but um it uh, uh, it was as we look back on it, it that when we placed her in that, it was probably the most difficult thing we ever did. But it turned out to be the best mm. for her. She has flourished and now is in a group home with Hammer. Been there twenty some years, and uh, in fact, I'm going to go get her tomorrow, bring her up to the lake for the weekend. That's great, fabulous. I I know you're up there in Malax right now. Um, you should know two things. One. 
you don't ever have to worry about being emotional on this show, as Sean will attest. <laughs> I have cried on more episodes than I have not cried because I am an incredibly emotional individual. Uh, oh, and don't I don't really feel like holding it back. I feel like that's a that's a healthy safety valve, right? So if it's it going to come out, let let it out, let it out. But also, you should right. know that your son is fiercely protective of kelly uh his older sister and um i i got to meet her finally i mean i'm sure you already know that but i just wanted to reinforce that uh but i finally got to meet her just a few months ago when i saw you down in the atrium of the fine building that we work in uh and she was lovely she was great and so it was nice to meet you too and i'm very glad you're on the show now coming up I am going to pick your brain so deeply about Woodstock. So I hope that you weren't high the entire time because I have a <laughs> lot of important questions. All right. But first, we're going to hear a little music. I hate to go too long without hearing a song. We're playing okay. Joe Cocker. Tell me why you picked this one. Uh, I, you know, I picked three songs and they were, to use a seasonal analogy, sort of the spring of my life, the summer of my life, and the autumn of my life. So right. uh, I... I I saw Joe twice in 69. I saw him at the Midwest Rock Festival, which we can get into, which was mm. in West Plus about three weeks before Woodstock. And then right. I'm at Woodstock. So, um, but I think uh, even he, um, and not that I remember it when he said it, but I've seen the movie enough that he says uh, this, this uh, title just about sums it up. So that's why I picked it. sing out of key yeah. oh baby
performer, not just in terms of his voice, but in terms of everything that he ever did. Joe Cocker here on The Brian Oak Show, episode 298 of The Brian Oak Show podcast. And we're talking to Minnesota lawyer Jeff Lambert, but he's obviously much more than that. He is a storyteller. He's, whether he likes it or not, the father of meat sauce from the Power Trip Morning <laughs> Show. Uh, there's you're, you're stuck now, man. There's no way around that one. A okay. guy who I feel like might have been like a lot of people in the 60s when you think about Woodstock. Um, yeah. a, a little bit of a lost soul himself at one point, but has clearly found his way and is one of my favorite, favorite colleagues that I work with over at iHeartRadio. Um, I asked him when I saw him earlier today, I'm like, oh, hey, guess who's on the podcast today? He's like, who? I'm like, you're dead. And he was like, what? I'm like, <laughs> Don't worry about it. My, your dad and I text and talk more than most people know. Um, and uh, but I, I said, "What's your favorite story?" He's like, "Well, the one that we've gotten the most response to is about how he went to Woodstock." So, Woodstock happened, I believe, mid-August, nineteen sixty-nine. Iconic, not just for the fact that uh, virtually, I mean, every single band and artist is a known name. Three days of peace, love, and music happening on Yasger's farm about, I think, 40 miles away from actual Woodstock, New York, but that's where it was out there. How did it come to pass that you, even as an adventurous, dangerous, ex explorative young man, <laughs> how did you fucking find yourself at Woodstock? Unbelievable. So I, um, one of the things that my, uh, oh, 
make to make a short story long. My um, <laughs> parents, um, my dad and my uncle and grandfather had a uh, uh, owned a barge and towing company in the Twin Cities. And so when I turned 18, my dad said, you got to go work on the river. So uh, they put me on the river and uh, I worked as a deckhand uh, the summer of 68, right after I got mm -hmm. out of school and uh, it worked out well. So I thought, well, I'll do it in the summer of 69. So I'm on the river and uh, communicating with some of my high school buddies and they say, um, if you can get off the in it toward the middle of July, there's a rock festival in West Allis, Wisconsin that we're all going to. Mm. And uh, why don't you meet us there? So I was uh, I was working on the river. I arranged to get off the I actually got off the boat in Chicago uh, um, and uh, uh, caught the train up to uh, Milwaukee, met these guys and we go to this uh uh, kind of my first rock well like they say the whole town knows i did see the beatles stop right there i'm sorry you saw the beatles where at metropolitan stadium live in 65 <laughs> yeah i mean wow. I, I mean yes but i just I, oh. you have to you, you have to forgive me for being a little bit taken aback because you know you also you've seen the beatles and you've been to Woodstock. <laughs> that, that was all I did in the '60s, just the Beatles and Woodstock. So, uh. I, <laughs> no. So that's a whole other story we can get into about the Beatles. But uh, um, ended up in West Dallas at this rock festival and had, I mean, if you look at the set list, um, Blind Faith, uh, Cream, Johnny wow. Winter um and, holy whoa, whoa, whoa. okay okay hang on hang on I, i'm just trying to process this as the words are coming out of your mouth i mean all of that but you saw cream perform live yes yeah the and it, it and joe Cocker, <laughs> so west alice was at it was a you reminded me now of in the of, of being at canterbury so it had it was a mm -hmm. kind of racetrack grandstand mm -hmm. bet there weren't more than twenty five thousand people there maybe and uh it was uh it was again a, a three-day this was the i, I was going to say like the third week in july of 69 so 25 24 24 25 26 the july three weeks before woodstock but yeah cream was there blind faith um uh joe cocker johnny winter as i said mm -hmm. and yeah we uh we sat through that and uh we didn't have the weather conditions that we ended up with in uh in woodstock nor did we have the crowds we were able to nice. leisurely walk to a bathroom uh, we could go to the concessions i mean it was uh you know with twenty five thousand people it seemed uh it seemed large at the time um but so we're sitting there. Um, this was on, I, I think, on the third day, Sunday. And um, we were just sitting up in the grandstand. And this guy comes walking through the. And he said, um, anybody, anybody got an interest in going to this festival, music festival? <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm looking at uh, first, of course, the first question is, how much are the tickets? Well, they were six dollars um, a day. Oh, my gosh. 18 bucks i said well you know i, I i'm 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 money's coming out of my pockets because i'm making so much money on the river yeah. no, not 
not quite, but it was uh, it was pretty lucrative. So I said, God, I could pop for 36 bucks. So I bought a couple tickets and stuffed them in my pocket and uh, went home after that festival and uh, uh, had some time off. Um, so I took the rest of the, the that uh, next couple of weeks off and I talked to my roommate uh, who became later but was my best man and uh, John Frost and I and I mm. said at these tickets why don't we just do a little road trip out to New York and uh, uh, we were we uh, planned that around we we planned a bunch of things around Woodstock not having any idea that that would be <laughs> the focal point of our uh, of our two-week uh, trip now you you brought up an excellent point right there like 25,000 people is still a ton of people but for a major rock festival even back then manageable and Woodstock I know the word got out and I know the people were like just go just go just go yeah. but you'd already planned weeks ahead like we're going to head out there but a half a half million people ended up <laughs> showing up there at that point it's certainly for an American rock festival Utterly unprecedented. I mean, now, even if you go to Coachella or one of the big ones, 130, 140,000 people a day, half a million people were there with you. So what do you do? Do you get in a car? Do you go drive? How do you? Yes. Because so I heard you we, like, couldn't get there. We uh, we had planned this road trip. So we had a bunch of other things we were going to do. We uh, um, we uh, uh, we told a our high school buddies that were doing this. And one guy's dad uh, said, well, I can get you some tickets for some Broadway show. What would you like to yeah. see? And I have no idea. I've never been to Broadway. So he ends up getting us two tickets to the front row of hair. Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. On no, no, Broadway. No, 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 way. no, no, no. no I mean, because <laughs> the, the original run, well, first of all, I love musical theater. Yes. And my top two of all time are from that era, Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair. Hair yeah. might be my favorite musical theater piece of all time. But you got to see, I mean, this was the one with the full nudity and the craziness oh, and the... Yep. Yeah. Wow. So that was, that was um, on the, that was actually, I, that was, those tickets I still have from that was from the 19th. So that was Tuesday after the weekend of Woodstock. So that was kind of our goal what? to York to get to this play and blah, blah, blah. And on the way, we'll just stop by this music festival. So um, at the time, um, I had a, an Austin Healy convertible and oh my gosh. Uh, put our stuff into that. And uh, off we went, we left. Um, I, I mentioned my, my, parents were involved in the in the river industry so they had a as part of their business they had a, an apartment in downtown chicago so we stopped our first night in chicago and stayed at that apartment and uh, and then we started driving and uh, we thought we left about oh i'm gonna say four or five days ahead of uh, the festival actually started on august 15th so we started out about the 10th, I think, and we just kind of did a road trip through Chicago. And then we went up through Detroit and into Canada. And uh, we... uh, Sean, so we're doing this by Zoom today because life is crazy. Sean just held up his phone with a picture of an Austin Healey convertible on yeah. it. Um, holy cowboy. So, I mean, you were like, you were basically Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> It was a, it was an, it was an Austin Healey 3000, the biggest mistake wow. ever. 
pulled it to pay my law school tuition. Right? <laughs> and and I could have kept it and paid law school tuition in today's dollars if I still <laughs> yeah. So you head out there. Yeah. And at some point, at some point, Woodstock turns into more than just a major music festival out in the middle of nowhere. It turns right. into Obviously, with the retrospect of time and the benefit of history and all that retrospect, it's become one of the most important musical cultural touchstones in American history. But at some point during its development, right, like the word starts to spread. Had you heard what it was turning into before you got there or did you just show up and see uh, what happens? Heard a thing. Hadn't heard a thing. All we do is where it was. And of course, you have to you remember you have to remember the late 60s i mean we didn't have google we didn't have phones we right. had the old brand mcnally uh, that we pulled out and uh, we're trying to find bethel you know new york on the <laughs> app and uh, so we as i said we'd gone up through canada we came through we made the mistake uh, you know we we're long-haired all that and uh <laughs> hippies I'm, Coming through Canada, coming through customs that we made the mistake of coming through at two in the morning and the custom people had nothing to do and they mm -hmm. ripped our car apart. They took everything out. They We had to empty the trunk. They took out the spare tire. Mm. Uh, fortunately, they didn't find anything. Um, but <laughs> Wait a minute now. Now, again, as a lawyer, I would not ask you to incriminate yourself, but did you get away with one there? We did. The statute of limitations has long run on. <laughs> Luckily, we had some stuff on our on our uh, in our in our pockets, but they never uh, checked that. They were they were really there just to harass and. Uh, yeah. and you know, so uh, they took the car apart, and uh, then they made us put it all back together, and then we drove off. And now it's like four in the morning, and we're driving into across the border, and we ended up at. <laughs> Um, very romantic. The two we ended up at Niagara Falls, and uh, <laughs> this was back. I mean, I've been there since to Niagara Falls. You, you know, you can't get close. It's got fencing, and uh, we mm -hmm. we just drove up and uh, rolled our sleeping bags out and slept slept right next to the falls. And wow. really, Epic so trip. we we were um, we had no agenda other than we knew we had to be at these two places, and uh, so we were pretty. Uh, it was it was pretty carefree and uh, after we left Niagara Falls we were we kind of drove through the Finger Lakes area of upstate New York and uh, we ended up I remember we ended up at a at a college bar at Cornell which is in Ithaca New York and uh, uh, of course we were only 19 at the time but uh, that didn't stop us from drinking uh, too much and we uh, so we knew after that night, though, we got up the next morning and it was the, it was August 15th. And I said, you know, we need to kind of start working our way down to Bethel. And we're looking at the map and we're on I-17 and all of this. And uh, the, the, the throughway, as uh, Arlo Guthrie later said, is closed, man. But uh, so we're <laughs> down from uh, uh, from Ithaca and and Bethel is as you said, is about 40 miles from Woodstock. Um, and, you know, if you, if you remember, they, they were going to hold it there. That's why it had that name. But the Woodstock people, when they heard there might be as many as 50,000 people, oh. just, no. <laughs> and so they actually, I think it was in the summer of, 
uh, 69 in earlier in the summer when they had to change venues and all of that. And for some reason, well, of course, I as I told, we didn't get our tickets till three weeks before. So by then they knew it was going to be in Bethel. Mm. Um, and so we we knew that and uh, we had pegged that on our Rand McNally. And uh, so we just headed down there and uh, we're driving down I-17 and we're looking for the uh, for the exit for Bethel. And uh, uh, I can remember it to this day. We turned off the freeways flowing along pretty good. We turn off the exit and we're getting onto this side road and it's like driving on highway on on 101 a two-lane highway and it's mm. four lanes in one direction all going in toward bethel from the freeway and uh, wow. so we get in line with uh we I, I, we get in with the, all the other cars and we're just kind of uh you, you could have walked faster than we were <laughs> at that point right. but you know because again we had no if we'd had the iPhone, we could have said, oh, it's a seven minute walk from here. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever it is. We had right. no, no idea how far it was, how much further we had to go. So we just kind of plugged along with the crowd, with the with the traffic. And at one point we came to a um a, a, a farm and the guy was saying, you know, we're going slow enough that he could talk to everybody. So we roll our window down. He says, look, for five bucks, you can leave your car here. It's only about 10 more <laughs> minutes. Uh, um, so we, with a bunch of other people, we pull in there and park the car and uh, grabbed what we could. The biggest mistake, and if I ever made one, was not bringing the camera with me. Yeah. Uh, I wow. Car, and I thought, I'm not going to drag this camera around with me. And anyway, we'll be back. And you know that'll work out. So no big deal. So let me ask you, look real quick, because we got to get to another song here. I, I hate to go too long without music. Um, That's right. But at some point, when you realize that it's four lanes all pointing in the same direction, at some point you have to. Before we even talk about the show itself, which we'll do after the song, um, at some point you have to realize this thing is bigger than anybody realized. A hundred percent. The minute we got off the freeway, we knew something was going on. <laughs> But right. it just didn't seem right. Uh, yeah, we aren't in West Dallas anymore. That was <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. We're going to talk okay. about the show coming up, but I do want to hear a song first. Every guest who comes on has to pick music. And you picked one that I am intimately familiar with. I've had the luxury of interviewing this guy a couple times. Oh. And oh. working at Cities 97.1 as I do, I have played this song a million freaking times on the radio. But tell me to you why this song matters and why you picked it. I, it, it, uh, it, it I, I, I just love his songs. I love his lyrics. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I just think this is a, such an uplifting and it, uh, it was one of his original songs and, um, I, I just love it. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy, won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be 
walking with my feet ten feet off a beam, walking in Memphis. But do you really feel the way I feel? Saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. Followed him up to the gates of Graceland, and I watched him walk right through. Now security, they did not see him. They just hovered round his tomb. But there's a pretty little thing waiting for the king down in the jungle room. When I was walking in Memphis, I was walking with my feet ten feet off a beam. Walking in Memphis. Fish on the table. They've got gospel in the air. River and green, be glad to see you when you haven't got a prayer. But boy, you got a prayer in Memphis. Every Friday at the Hollywood, and they brought me down to see her, and they asked me if I would do a little number, and I sang with all my might. She said, "Tell me, are you a Christian child?" And I said, "Ma'am, I am tonight." For being walking in Memphis, but do you really feel the way I feel? Walking in Memphis, I was walking with my feet ten feet off a beam. Shoes and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta blues, in the middle of the pouring rain. Touched down in the land of the Delta blues, in the middle of the pouring rain. A quick question for our guest, uh, Jeff Lambert, a.k.a. Lawyer Lambert, uh, as he is colloquially known. But I'd like to remind you, Mr. Lambert, that you are under oath. Did you <laughs> or did you not try the brown acid at Woodstock? <laughs> I did not try the brown acid. Uh, we'd already heard the warning from the state. <laughs> 
we were a little careful anyway with what we tried, but yeah, uh, yeah. not the brown acid. No. Well, I mean, and again, it it and it might be a little apocryphal. Like some people say it was chipmunk, some people say it was yes. wavy gravy, or yeah. some other legendary hippie icon. But somebody made the announcement from the stage: do not take the brown acid. People are having bad trips. Stay away from the brown acid. It was chip. It was not uh, wavy gravy. It, it was. was. Chip. Yeah, yeah. He made that. But so we right. stayed. Before, yeah. well, and, and probably a good yeah. idea. I always say kids stay in school. Don't do drugs. <laughs> but if you can kind of if you can kind of thread that needle, that's kind of <laughs> I don't know, that's one of the more interesting spots to be in life. Hey, can, before we continue with Jeff Lambert, I would like to talk to my friend, Sean. Sean, you, in addition to being my ally, my cohort, my co-LLC owner, you are also a sponsor on this show with the work you do as a realtor for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. Um, it's late February. It's windy. It's howling. It's terrible. Well, how are tricks? What's it going like right now? Well, there was a pause this week, as you can imagine. People are kind of waiting to go look at homes and that sort of thing. Um, but it'll pick back up as soon as we warm up a few degrees uh, this week. I've got some listings that are coming on the market soon. I've got people that are moving in from out of town. Uh, so stuff is still happening. I just want to say something real quick that life is for the living. And Jeff, what a life uh, you've lived. I, I think the happiest people I've ever met in my life are the people that go out of their way to make memories. And it sounds like you've been that guy. You've been that guy that's just really worked to give yourself things to look forward to. And it also sounds like you're similar to Brian and myself, where music is your spirituality, that it's something that's just totally changed your life. It is. And uh, I've been very fortunate, very fortunate. Uh, you know, had that guy not walked through the stands in West Dallas, I probably would have never even thought about going to Woodstock. But That's crazy, uh, man. It, like, yeah. I mean, like a, a happenstance moment of a guy like, who wants a couple tickets? You're it, like... I got, 30, I got $32. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I think, I think I'll do that. One of the things I do as a realtor is I donate a portion of every buy and sell to a local artist or musician. And my point with all of this is that there's so many musicians that were hurt so much by the pandemic and they oh. can use every bit of your support. So if you buy or sell with me, you've got lots of choices of realtors, but if you buy or sell with me, know that a portion of that sale is going to go to a local artist or musician that would love to help uh, make some great memories for you and with you. 612-859-2594. So Woodstock, like the original Woodstock, three days of peace, love, and, and three days of peace and music. Yeah. I mean, you read, you read who was there, and it's almost unfathomable. I mean, in this day and age, of course, at Coachella, You've got 150 artists or bands playing. All of them are legendary status or up-and-comers. But when you think about 1969, mm -hmm. yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Sly and the Family Stone, The Who, The Grateful Dead, Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane, Ravi Shankar, Country Joe and the Fish, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, The Band, Santana, <sighs> CCR, John Sebastian, Joan Baez. And, and then that's really just, that's just the A-listers. The whole it, thing was, I mean, it was nonstop, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, wow. and you know, um, at, based on our um, experience driving in there, you can imagine they couldn't get any of the talent in. No. I mean, ah, there, there were no roads. There were there was right. no way 
that the talent could arrive and must, you know, they're flying into LaGuardia or wherever it is and trying right. to get up at Woodstock and the road, they couldn't do it. So uh, we uh, ended up, um, my other recollection is we walk in, well, so we leave the leave the farm, leave the car there, walking along the road. And at that point, as I said, we're walking faster than the traffic's going. So right. we're just going crowd and all of a sudden the crowd is sort of turning up and going up over this hill and we thought well what the hell we'll follow them and uh, and uh, as we come up over the hill there's the fence the the six foot fence down it's the fence <laughs> that down by the time we got there so we came over that fence and then uh and if you've seen the pictures and you know i've been back there since uh yasger's farm was a perfect it was an it was a perfect natural amphitheater mm -hmm. it this um uh this hillside that sloped down to the flat area where they had the stage set up and uh we came over that hill at the top of the at the top of the amphitheater and by this was friday afternoon i'm going to say about 3 30 4 o'clock in the afternoon when we finally arrived at the site and was the uh, music already underway nothing had started yet no nope, right. nothing had started and uh so we just thought well we're gonna walk down we that we you know, not not like we had a reserved seat or anything so we <laughs> walk and then people were already putting up their tents and their blankets on the hillside and uh and uh so we just started we just started walking down toward the front and wanted to get a look at the stage and as we got down there uh Richie Havens came out and mm -hmm. Richie had to be there he was like I think third or fourth on the actual set list but he was the only artist that was there he was it <laughs> right here's this guy from Greenwich you know he was kind of a folk star uh, folk uh, guy and uh, they push him out there and uh he comes out in this uh in this orange caftan and uh, he's sitting on the uh, stool and he's He's, he's tuning his guitar as we're walking down there. And uh, uh, we just, uh, so we just stood there. We're kind of at the foot of the stage and there he is tuning up and he just goes into his set and ends up playing for, oh, he played for an hour, hour and a half. Um, yeah. And then they, they um, I don't know where they got the helicopters from, but uh, <laughs> they, they ended up having to fly in the talent. Mm -hmm. And that was the, way they could get him in there but they they and i my understanding is that havens would ran out of songs and push him back out there and uh so he was <laughs> stuff up as he went along but uh yep. he played for uh for a good hour and a half and kind of set uh um in his some of his songs uh motherless child and uh freedom mm -hmm. uh just kind of set the stage for what was to come so and speaking of what was to come again, three days of peace and music. And so was the, before we talk about the actual performances, was the vibe good? Like, I mean, I know it rained, I know it was muddy. I know that there were bad trips or whatever, but I mean, overall, I have to imagine that everybody there was on that same page. Everybody there knew what they were there for. And I really, I because like Woodstock 99 was obviously a fucking nightmare and a joke. <laughs> Or Woodstock 69, I feel like 
there's a reason that it remains as iconic as it is today. Numerous DVD releases, not one, not two, but three full soundtrack albums have come out that that celebrate and commemorate it. Was it, did it evoke the nature of what people went there looking for? Everything you can imagine, it did. The, the, the piece, the... Um, uh, the the just the sharing that everybody was doing the um, you know we we'd walk by every once in a while you'd see a cop but there was uh, there were a couple of state troopers there kind of directing traffic and people right. were joking with them and uh, everybody was just uh, it was um, high without the drugs for a while mm. then you use the drugs but uh, <laughs> well was, these things do happen but you know you have to the other thing you have to kind of remember in that era, I mean, we were in the middle of Vietnam. This yeah. was mm-hmm. 60, probably the worst year of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Which, when I graduated from high school in 69, we, uh, this was um, before the uh, lottery, which was in 1970. Mm-hmm. So as a 19-year-old kid, uh, I mean, Vietnam looked like that was part of your future. Um, and here we had three days where we could just forget about all of that Mm. and, you know, watching the body bags come home and all of that Mm. stuff was going on with the war. And, uh, and, uh, so it was, um, it was a, uh, people were, were free. People were letting go. People were, um, just, uh, living the moment. And, uh, that was probably the most enjoyable part of it. Uh, and so not to take away from anything that you just said, because that to me is so poignant. I feel like perspective is crucial when we're talking about old music, new music, anything, but life in general and culture. And the Vietnam War, although people have heard more than enough about it, yeah. to be there and, like you said, possibly be in the teeth of the lottery, it's a very different animal. So I don't want to denigrate any of that, but I do want to ask you an important question. I lived with four deadheads for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was obviously a couple decades later, but I went to see a couple shows with them and went and hung out with a lot of their friends. Were there super foxy hippie girls at Woodstock? <laughs> <laughs> wow, apparently they were He's lost for words. So one of our first experiences was after we watched Havens for a while behind the stage, um, there was a pond. And uh, so we thought, you know, <laughs> of uh, Christmas vacation where he goes, pond, pond, it'd be good for you, Eddie. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, here we are, we're, we're driving along with it, it for three or four days. Uh, the only real shower we had was at the uh, at the apartment back in Chicago. So we're four days into this and figured we'll do some kind of a bathing deal. So we went around back, and there's the pond, and uh, people were just skinny dipping. That was uh, there they were, and so we just jumped in and uh, um, got cooled off and uh, got washed up a little bit. Uh, so it, it was. Yeah, there there were some foxies. There All right, I, look, man, I, again, and I'm not. I don't try to reduce anyone to their base appearance, <laughs> mm-hmm. but when I was young and yeah. doing drugs, every once in a while you'd see this hippie girl, and it looked like there was light coming out of the top of her head, and I'd be like, <laughs> "Damn, 
Yeah. Of course, I never got close to any of that. So uh, we, we don't have we don't have a whole lot of time left to go here. But before we go, Jeff, so you were there. I mean, literally, at, at, at maybe the most legendary music festival in American history. And I, I want to know, just like, I mean, did you stay up twenty four hours a day? Who did you see? What, yep. Maybe two or three of your very very favorite musical takeaways from being at Woodstock. Um, okay, so one was, as I already mentioned, of course, that Friday night, which went on, seemed to go on forever, Arlo Guthrie, mm. was uh, he came in by helicopter and talked about the throughway being closed and rapping with the fuzz and uh, all of that. <laughs> well, and I think, I think for people who don't maybe know Arlo Guthrie, it's important to remember that even though rock and roll is in full flower at this point in 1969, I mean, yeah. the the roots of traditional folk in America are really only a few years in the in the rearview mirror. I mean, folk right. music was the foundation. You know, it it was sort of to me, at least from what I understand, the the sort of connective tissue uh, between beatnik era and rock and roll era. Folk was well, it was an important part of the entire scene. It was it was it was informative in the sense that we are a family, we are a community, and so even though there were people who were embittered that folk was no longer super deep and super pure, it, it still informed the nature of the, for lack of a less lazy term, hippie community. And if you and if you look at the the set list, that was really what Friday was mostly. I mean, Richie Havens was on there. Richie wasn't really a rock. Uh, star he was a Greenwich Village folk artist and uh, and then they then the evening Friday evening capped off with Joan Baez and she was the last singer on Friday night wow. Uh, wow. and then we 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 just found I mean luckily we're in the middle of the summer so you know it wasn't like you had to have a, a tent or a blanket or anything else so we just found some place to to go i remember i mean people have always asked about you know where do you go to the bathroom and uh, i i i do remember they they tried they had i'll bet they had a <laughs> dozen, two dozen uh, porta pot but not oh, enough not, not enough, enough. For, not enough for a half million people and the other thing i remember is next to the porta potties they had a they had set up a bank of pay phones and uh <laughs> In, in in uh this attracted a lot of people of course the one thing it was it was 90 miles from downtown new york and i think people that were there got on the payphone and were talking to their friends and people from new this is when i think friday night into saturday is when the crowd really started uh, mm. to blow up. and that was people probably coming from the new york greater new york area that were coming up to the uh that that probably increased it from maybe 150 to, to 400 or whatever it ended up being yeah. um but at what so at what point so i'm not asking you to pick a favorite but at some point you must have been standing there and looking around and an almost impossibly huge sea of people probably more than you've ever seen in one place before because yeah. it was most people hadn't seen that many people in one place before but at some point someone was playing and you saw a wave of human joy and shared experience do you remember who that artist or band was probably joe cocker yeah, yeah. Uh, joe was that and then he finished off with that song and the rains were coming in and mm -hmm. uh 
by then we'd kind of we'd kind of had it. We uh, we'd seen a lot. We'd seen a number of artists. We'd uh, we'd uh, sampled a lot, and uh, we, <laughs> you know, we're very very lawyerly put. By the way, I like that. <laughs> we uh, we ended up leaving shortly after that. So we the one the obviously, and I'm not. Uh, of the four or 500,000 there, 90% of the people missed Hendrix. Yeah. He didn't perform till he was supposed to be on Sunday night, but with the rains and all the delays and people getting in and out of the festival, he didn't end up, he didn't end up performing till like 9 AM on Monday. And mm. I think there were maybe 30,000 people, 35,000 people left when Hendrix actually, uh, performed the iconic star spangled banner and the rest of his set um, and, and and those at that point those people are into a three-day bender they're cold yeah. they're wet they're done i mean like you said like yeah see i think you did the right thing like uh your son who i'm a big fan of and his friends over at the power trip morning show they love to go to vegas to me vegas is a two-night town two nights get the fuck out yeah. of there and, and, and <laughs> yeah. i mean and then and then it's over right i mean like it's fun but then it's, go and so like i feel like three days of woodstock holy shit that's a lot of woodstock that, man that that was a lot and plus we had the tickets to hair we had to get to hair by <laughs> exactly <laughs> well and i'm gonna be honest in retrospect hair was pretty great wasn't it oh my god it was incredible yeah and we had front rows we had we're in front row front row of the uh, man uh, alive i'm sorry what what kind of car were you driving out to <laughs> an austin healy 3000 yeah and then front row seats to go see hair i think that tells me what i need to know about my western suburbs friend jeff lambert <laughs> right here aka lawyer <laughs> lambert uh jeff we've got to wrap it up man but it's been great to talk to oh. you um, i hope you'll come back and talk because i feel like we've barely scratched the surface not only on woodstock but i want to talk about hair and i want to talk more about you at some point in the near future will you come back and love join to, us sometime would love to appreciate your calling me and i'm glad to be on anytime absolutely well thank you very much jeff now you're not off the hook yet because okay. every guest who comes by has to bring three songs you okay. brought a third one and so as we say goodbye and thank our good friends at audio Equip, our good friends at smart start mn our good friends at moxie wealth management my good friend sean bernard thank you. um uh everybody who's ever been a part of this anyone who's ever listened shared amplified done anything to promote this show thank you it's hard to imagine that we're this close to 300 episodes still can't really quite, I, I i can't get my head around it, it, it yeah what's that congratulations yeah thank you thank you it, it's super weird man but it's also weird in a great way which you know that's how life is i suppose uh anyway before we go i want to say thank you to all those people thanks to everybody thanks again jeff for joining us today uh tell us why you chose this song because i love both these artists i don't know yeah. that i know this song that well but i know yeah. that they've done more than one or two songs together yeah i just think as i've gone into my 70s you look back and uh um you can't have enough friends you really can't. And uh, old friends mean a lot. And so this song kind of hits home for me. That's what I got. Yeah. 
What will I do when you're gone? Who's gonna tell me the truth? Who's gonna finish the stories I start where you always do? When somebody knocks at the door, someone new walks in. I will smile and shake their hands, but you can't make old friends. Can't make old, old friends. Can't make old, old friends. It was me and you since way back when, but you can't make old
Joe Burgess is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC North Star Resource Group is independently owned and operated. Moxie is affiliated with North Star Resource Group and is independently owned and operated. 2701 University Avenue Southeast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55414.